Welcome to the next Dyslexia Scotland podcast in the current series. I'm David Thompson and I'm one of the media volunteers and member of Dyslexia Scotland. In this current series of podcasts that I'll be doing for the charity, we've interviewed people who are dyslexic and they'll tell us about the experience of having the learning difficulty. In this podcast, I've managed to interview Kerr Aiken, who is one of the young members of Dyslexia Scotland who graduated this summer in theatre and philosophy from Glasgow University. He has since set up his own production company called Life Witness Theatre. In this podcast, we've discussed how his dyslexia has affected different parts of his life and how he's coped with them. First, Kale tells about the type of dyslexia that he's got. Oh, well, I was very lucky to grew up with a mother who works with kids with learning difficulties and specifically dyslexia. So I think she had her hunting and at about age 10, my teacher also concurred and decided to put me forward to a dyslexia test. And I don't really remember the test, but it went ahead and both my teacher and my mum were right. And and I've known I was dyslexic ever since. So in terms of... um... You're schooling because about 10 years old, you're about going to be P5, P6, P7. Could you remember the type of how your education changed when you found out you were dyslexic in terms of the support you were given um, at school? Well, I always did all right for myself in primary school in terms of, you know, reading groups and spelling groups and, you know, the triangles and the squares and how it was back in the day. I really noticed the change when I moved into high school and all my friends went from who I was in similar um, uh, activity groups in went to the kind of upper, you know, first set, second set, and I went to like second bottom, bottom set, and specifically because they wanted to make sure that I got the support that I needed with my dyslexia. But actually, I I found that quite demoralising a little bit, and I felt that I actually. I wanted to be with my with my friends and my peers who I thought I was at a some similar level to. And so though I think they may have had the right thing at heart, I actually don't think they, they were genuine looking at the skill set that I maybe um had or the ability that I was working with and more kind of looked at, oh, he's dyslexic, we better stick him in with the with the, the rest of the people who kind of fit that category. In terms of the the kind of support you got at uh, probably more specifically secondary school then, what was it you got to help you with like, maybe your, your English and your maths and all subjects you were doing? So, Well, I was lucky that they gave me, or I could use a computer for my essays and my exams. That was an absolute necessary and a saviour. If I'd had to write, it would have been awful. It's completely illegible. And so I, and so that was a real benefit. And there was um, a, a service there for, I, I think, at my school, but I can't say that I was that heavily, heavily involved with it. I, I can't say that I felt, I don't feel like I felt under-supported. I don't feel like I felt that supported either. I kind of just went on my, my, my own way a little bit, I think. So you, did you manage to get the, your qualifications you needed to uh, get where you're uh, Sky school to get to university was it did, did the support you gave you advice to get you to achieve that um, yeah i would definitely say that the support that was provided was beneficial but i think that a lot of that support came from individual teachers so i had a lot of um 
really supportive individuals throughout my schooling career who pushed me on. I, I always was uh, intended to go on and do physics and maths. That was kind of the plan. That's kind of the side of the brain that I excelled at rather than the uh, more, you know, Englishy side. And so I, when I was focusing on them, I didn't n notice my dyslexia too much. Uh, and then I, and then I, so I got the qualifications that I needed to get into, into university because I went there to originally to study maths. What sort of things have you kind of picked up? Um, they found that um, it's maybe caused of, uh, because of your dyslexia or something, that maybe you've been a bit more slow in terms of your processing speed or your, your reading's not maybe that great with us. So what sort of things have you noticed when uh, compared to maybe other students who maybe uh, up to uh, who have not got dyslexia? I think I really noticed it when I got into my first year of university. I managed to kind of get my way through high school with having little bits that you kind of pick up here and there, coping mechanisms. And then I got to uni and was surrounded by a lot of really smart people who could read everything on the course text and the extended course text within the week that you were meant to read it. And I just, I just couldn't. I, my, my reading comprehension is it's really slow. Like it takes me a long, long time to read a book, even if it's reading for pleasure, which is something that I had to get myself into do something that I never did when I was, when I was younger, even as a young teen. And so I think that that's really where I find my dyslexia as a hindrance is that my just inability to be able to keep up with that quantity of reading that I felt was maybe required or that my peers were doing. I guess you took an educational psychology test when you went to university to so you get the, the right support um, to help you through university. Yeah, I, I, I did. I did it when I first got there. And I was above average on the, it was the making the shapes fit together test, spatial awareness or something, something along those lines. Uh, it had a fancier name than that, I think. I did really well and then was way, way below, below the average in the pace of reading comprehension. And, and so I think that that's, I think I've always been quite aware that I, it just does take me a wee bit longer to understand what's being said to me or I'm, I'm reading. Yeah, because uh, you don't, I'd be right credit to say that you don't mass at university and then you change the course yeah. um, sometime through it. Just to, was it to go to theatre just to tell us more about, about that some aspect of it? Yeah, so I got into university and I was like, I'm never going to have to write another essay again. Oh yes, thank goodness. Not how I work. And went to do a maths degree and spent all my time that I wasn't in academia in the theatre. I was like, I, this is just what I want to do. And, and at the end of my first year, I uh, had a bit of time to reflect and went, like, where do I want to be in five years, ten years? And it was, it was in a theatre. And I was like, well, why don't I do it properly? Yeah. And so yeah. I changed from doing a maths degree to doing a theatre and took up philosophy as a third subject, just kind of for the chat. You know I mean, I was like, this could be interesting. I never studied it before. I wasn't available at school. Really, really enjoyed it. And really enjoyed just the kind of debate that I was getting in seminars. So I took it on as a dual degree and finished finished my career doing a theatre and philosophy degree. So in terms of going from like a quite a, a theory based subject to in maths going to a what you call a, a creative subject do you think that's maybe fits in with your uh, dislikes and the fact that you are a bit more maybe a bit more creative in that respect? Well I actually think that there's somewhat of a, a false dichotomy presented there that there that they are so such like different disciplines and that, that like maths like can't be creative and the creative arts can't be like theoretical in the same way that maths is 
and I and I actually found that I could find the connections between them that maybe I didn't even realize were there. For example, I actually wrote my sixth year dissertation in theater about a theater maker called Boal, who creates a special type of theater called forum theater. Um, and I basically made an argument saying that the way that he creates theater is actually reflective of the scientific model. He goes out, he observes phenomenon in the world and inequalities. He then creates experiments, theater pieces, uh, theater pieces which are malleable, changeable, and he keeps changing those experiments, those performances, and then he evaluates and sees what, uh, what he has learned from that. And actually, that is, that's what we do in the sciences. And, and I really love that bridge between the, the creative arts and the, the, the scientists and where I can find those two slotting together. So you think that because of your, because you'd be able to do that for your dissertation, you'd be able to actually think out of the box a wee bit and tell you the subject you picked for your dissertation, because sometimes it could be easy to go with or a more simpler, uh, more theatre-weighted stuff, uh, dissertation rather than bring something of science into it try and think it that way a wee bit more. Oh, absolutely. I definitely didn't make it easy for myself, I'll tell you that much for free. <laughs> I chose what I was, what I was passionate in at the time. I was you know, going to do a math degree at uni, but I still obviously loved theatre. And so I was like, right, how can I make this theatre um, dissertation that I have to do applicable to what I'm going to, you know, my, my other passion, which was, which was the maths and sciences. And so found a way, and I'm hoping it was a fairly effective way to kind of make that link. And I think that if more people saw them as more similar disciplines, if you go back to, you know, the, the ancient philosophers, they, they, they were all mathematicians as well as artists. I mean, there wasn't, they were just wise people. There wasn't, we hadn't broken down these uh, into these very specific niche disciplines that the way that academia makes us do now, that you can focus on one part of one part of a subject. And I think that if we were a little bit more interdisciplinary in the way that we educated and the way that we learned, it would be beneficial for all. Um, so what sort of um, coping mechanisms do you have to deal with when you're doing your, not just your dissertation, but also maybe during your university then to try and help um, to complete your degree and graduate from university and theatre uh, philosophy? I learned to mind map like a fiend. Uh, <laughs> I, it took me a long time to crack out how to write an essay because I just don't understand structure at all. It doesn't make sense to me. Uh, so what I would do was just mind map in, entire courses. I'd take all my notes and just mind map all of it. And I'd, so I'd literally have like 30 mind maps in front of me on the desk. People in the library sitting next to me like, what is this kid doing? Can he stop using colored pens? <laughs> and then I'd take those, you know, 30 or so and distill them into, you know, four, just for the important things. And then I would work out what essay question am I going to be asked for, for this upcoming exam? And then I would take one mind map and, 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 create the what was what would be my answer the kind of structure on one mind map and from there i could kind of visualize this this bit of the mind map and it would remind me of the mind map that it was connected to and then that, that one's connected to and so by the end of it i theoretically had all these kind of branches that were shooting off so that hopefully when i got into the exam i had my you know my one mind map that i was going to remember but it was linked to all these other kind of thoughts that i'd got from other bits of the course that I'd been able to jot down in that mind map form. So I presume your organisational skills will have to be quite good to try and study everything and eventually have to do a dissertation so you have to 
being quite good at organising your everything in? I have worked a lot on my organisational skills. It's not something that I found naturally, but I have really come on a long way. And a big one for me is to-do lists. Yeah. I have to-do lists for my to-do lists. And it is and it is definitely how I live my life. And, you know, I, I have them next to me right now, my today's to-do lists. And it was, you know, I have my big one on my uh, computer, which just is, you know, 30 things long and I'm never going to get through. And then, and then every, try and do it the night before if I can, if I'm being real organised. And if not, in the morning, I write in three things. Because I once read that, um, busy people have long to-do lists. Productive people have to-do lists of three things. And that's what I try and live by. I try and put three things on my to-do list in the morning and get them done. And if I can do that, be happy with myself. Because I can't always get them done, but I can try. So I guess, so I guess the, the podcast interface on that to-do list, to list for today then? Yeah, the podcast was my third thing on my to-do list today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so... Um, you since graduated from university? Yeah, just yeah. graduated. Well, is it just now? It's been a couple of months. Oh God, that's scary. <laughs> oh, was it? Was it this summer that you've graduated? Yeah. yeah it was this summer? It was this summer back in? I don't know when I technically graduated. J- July, maybe June. Yeah. March? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Did you do a? I read a, 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 you did a placement in America, California. Did you? Yeah. Did you go to spend a year over there? Yeah. So tell us, tell us all that. How did you? I'd love to talk about the educational differences there in terms of how I learned as a dyslexic. So I spent a year in Southern California at um, UC Irvine and I was still studying philosophy and theatre, but I was studying in a curriculum that I felt valued education in a totally different way. Now, for example, I had two classes over there where my only homework was to meditate. That was it. That's what I had to do for this semester. Meditate and yeah. then one of them was to keep a dream diary. And I know yeah. we laugh. It's, it sounds ridiculous. How is that a universe? How did I get credit for that? But I'll tell you, I learned more than those classes than any of these essay-based classes that I did in, in Glasgow. Well, 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 what did you learn then from the, the classes thing? Was it, was it anything specific or? So yeah, yeah. So one of them was a class called Theatre and Dreams. And we were being taught how to lucid dream. And so that means that I was taught how to become consciously aware that I was dreaming when I was asleep. And a big part of that is to be able to meditate. And once I managed to be able to lucid dream, I then set intentions before I went to sleep about artistic projects that I was working on so that I could dream about them and consciously like learn from my dream world. And I I did this, I I created theater using techniques that I had learned from this class that I, that I dreamt about. And that gave me an entirely new toolkit for creating theatre and art, something that I would never have got in the UK um, educational system. Yeah, because you, you know, because uh, I watched the, that Dyslexia Squad Career video that they've got on the website, and uh, you've done about was it 13 uh, was it projects or theatre projects you were yeah, doing. Yeah, something in, like that. Uh, so tell us, what was the sort of stuff you were, you were, you were doing as part of that? I did a, a wide variety of, you know, everything from Shakespeare to improv, but one that I'd love to talk about was a piece called 30 Plays in 60 Minutes, where we, I got into a collective within a couple of weeks of me being there, where we were 10 young artists, we got in a room and we pitched 50 two-minute sketches to one another, 
And then a week later, we performed them to an audience who came in with a menu card with the play titles numbered one to 30. And then on stage, there's a washing line with the numbers, numbers one to 30 hanging from it. And then the audience would shout out what number of play they wanted to see next. And so we as performers had no idea what um, play was gonna come up next. And these were personal, political, musical, movement-based, absurdist, silly, anything. And that fast paced cheap, quick art was really inspiring for me because it showed me you don't need uh, this crazy budget. You can just get together in a room with some friends and create yeah, an hour long, like fantastic performance. So in terms of, uh, help with, with that, did I actually help you in terms of um, have some sort of processes in place to help you in terms of organize, try to, um, so that you can perform and be able to do these uh, projects and the other stuff you were doing to try and put one and help you um, become a better actor, better theatre director? And I'm, I'm absolutely, like being part of that 360 collective was probably one of the most transformative things that I did on my year abroad for one big reason is that I fell in love with the form and decided that I wanted to do it back here in Scotland. And so when I came back to Scotland, it inspired me to get organized and to decide that if I want to be a director, no one's going to ask me to do it. I need to do it myself. And so it started up a theater company and we've now done that format twice. Um, once last November and once um, in uh, this February where we, I got, you know, 10 young artists in a room and yeah, it was, it's difficult putting on a whole show in a week. I'll tell you that I had to, and 30 different plays, I remind you. So we, I had to get an Excel spreadsheet that I was um, rehearsing plays by every 15 minutes. That's how organized I had to get because that was the only way that I could get my, get myself in order. And, and it was, it's, it was difficult, but we, but we did it. And that was the coping mechanism that I found worked for me in the creative process. So it tells you, yeah, I presume you have to, you know, it tells you your timekeeper will have to be uh, very good then because cause I know myself personally, then it's sometimes that uh, my timekeeper could be not be good. I could be either too early or too late for something because um, I missed out the, uh, I might have misread my, the time I've got for something. So you feel that that's actually um, helped with improving yeah, maybe your timekeeping or be um, more organised in terms of you know what you have to do for certain parts of the day, in terms of rehearsals, in terms of organising plays and know what time they're going to be on, etc. Yeah, absolutely. I also don't want to take too much of the credit though, because um, at Live Witness Theatre, um, our theatre company, I have some fantastic um, colleagues who are also very organised people. And I think yeah. that that was another great thing about 3060 is there's 10 of us in the room, 10 creative artists. And then another, uh, we also have our, uh, my, uh, partner in crime, Max Aspen, who uh, is our producer, is also very um, on the ball. And I think that that being part of that 3060 process in America really helped me find the value and, you know, getting other people to help you when, you, you know, you find timekeeping difficult, well then work with people who timekeeping is their thing and that you can share the load. Mm -hmm. So in that case, in, in terms of being dyslexic, do you think it's been a, a positive thing for yourself respectively? As I said right at the beginning, because I grew up with my wonderful mother, who always spun dyslexia as a positive thing, you know, she'd remind me that Winston Churchill and Will Smith and Keir Aitken were all dyslexic, uh, and you know, to put, put, put me very, as only a mother can do, in a list of people far greater than myself, and I, I think that I really did see it as, as a benefit, and um, she it really described to me that, yeah, might not be able to spell that well, but we have spell check nowadays. 
and you know that's that's okay and what you do get from it is um a, you know a, a creative flair and an ability to process slowly but process in a completely fresh way that others might just not be able to to do as such so yeah i definitely i wouldn't change it for the world so what would be any sort of advice for anybody who is dyslexic um and they might be um have maybe having difficulty actually deal with it what would you say to those um people who would be listening to this podcast and kind of be their self-esteem probably going a wee bit a bit low about it so it's what do you say to these people encourage would you give to anybody who is dyslexic i would want to remind them that i definitely felt the same way from when i got put in the bottom english class when i was in first year to you know when i was trying to write a dissertation i you have those ups and downs of how on earth have I got myself even into a situation where I'm having to write essays and it's just not how my mind works. But then I'd also like to really remind and encourage them to focus on those moments where their dyslexia is is a benefit and to recognise that it's their dyslexia that's giving them that edge. Because sometimes, you know, you do, a, a, you do an awful mistake and you're like, I'm dyslexic. And then you do a fantastic achievement and you don't make that maybe connection to say that actually I might not have been able to do that if my brain didn't think the way that I worked. And I'd also love to encourage them to not be afraid of essay-based subjects in the same way that I, that I was. If I had stuck with that math degree, say I'd done a degree in England and couldn't have changed my degree, I, you know, I'd have graduated with a math degree at 19. I don't think I could have had that. It, could have, it would have been, it would have been a, I'm sure maybe I could have done it, but it would have been tough. And I'm making the decision to um, follow, follow a passion even I know, knew that it was going to be that it was going to be tough, and there was going to be things that my dyslexia would make difficult for myself. It was absolutely the right thing to do, and I have never looked back. And I hope that they can do the same. That's me, David Thompson, coming to the end of the podcast for Dyslexia Scotland that I done with Care Aiken. I would like to thank Care for taking the time to do the podcast for Dyslexia Scotland. Please check on Dyslexia Scotland's website and social media sites for future podcasts.